0: Okay guys, it's 2023. What does that mean? Well, as much as I may want to resist going with the ye old New Year's resolutions, I do find that in January I have a renewed sense of energy and desire to make some changes and get back on, or just get on for the first time, the horse of health and well-being. Now, in the midst of our seventh season of heal, I wanted to check in with you, my audience. What do you need now in your healing journey? What are your goals? What are you struggling with, dealing with, or even resigned to that you don't think will ever change? What has been there lingering in the background that you just don't want to drag into yet another year? I want to hear from you. I want to connect and be sure that we are delivering on the topics of information and inspiring stories to support you in your healing journey. When Kendra and I first crafted the idea for HEAL, it definitely came out of my personal desire to put as much goodness and possibility of health and healing out into the world. And I'm not actually here just to entertain you. My true heart's desire is that this show makes a difference in your life and supports you to take action to live health and HEAL. Also, I want to be sure that you know I have a comprehensive, deep-dive medical health consulting practice where I meet with my clients virtually from all over the world, and I have room for you. Many people ask me if I'm taking new clients, and while I love that y'all think I'm book solid 100% of the time, actually, I want you to know I am available. I offer a free 30-minute exploration conversation to anyone interested in working with me to learn more about each other and how my approach may make a difference for you. Commonly, I work with people dealing with hormone issues, gut and digestive issues, chronic fatigue, autoimmune disorders, mold toxicity, chronic allergies, migraine headaches, insomnia, and people who have dealt with chronic anxiety and depression looking to support their body's biochemistry in addition to healing their emotional and mental challenges. While that may seem like quite a list, most of those diseases are connected and disorders are connected. So we will bridge the gap to bring it all together to elevate your health and your well-being and get your life back. I have a deeply intuitive and scientific-based approach. Yes, both. I bridge the worlds of coaching, spiritual energy healing, and doctoring to bring you the best tools you need to get your life and your health back. As efficiently and effectively as possible. The early months of the new year come with an increasing light each day, bringing new vision, new motivation, and new energy. As the seeds you planted last summer and fall, deep beneath the soil are slowly waking up and gathering their power to sprout new futures this spring. This is the perfect time to take new action and create health and a pathway to healing. I'm here for you. If you have felt called to find out more about the possibility of working together, please reach out on my Connect page of my website, sarahmarshallnd.com, and let's talk. Also, please contribute to the show with guest ideas or topic ideas or how-to guides or whatever it is that is going to make a difference for you this year in 2023. What do you want to learn about? What do you want to know about? What are you dealing with? You can shoot us an email on that same page of my website, sarahmarshallnd.com slash connect. I love you guys. Heal wouldn't exist without you. Thanks so much. Welcome to Heal. Well, today it's Kendra and I wrapping up this incredible season seven with a brief recap of all of our amazing guests and topics and exploring depression, Anxiety, and why love, kindness, and self compassion are the integral ingredients to healing. Now, three years have passed since the start of the pandemic, and we're under more cultural and existential stress than ever. For many of us, myself included, these past three years have been some of the hardest of our lives. Kendra interviews me about my own struggles and triumphs with the lifelong challenges with anxiety, depression, and emotional eating. And I share how I have worked through them myself. I also share my top recommendations for my clients dealing with the same things. Today, Kendra is your host, and I'm your guest, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Well, we made it.
1: (laughs) We did. We did.
0: Here we are at the end, episode 13 of season seven. That's How crazy. did that happen? I was actually just talking to someone and I was sharing about the podcast and I was like, "Yeah, we're going into our third year." And I was thinking of it like, like, like we've done two years and there's no Sarah. This we've done three years. We started working mm-hmm. on it, recording the first episodes, January of 2020. Yeah. So we've had three full years and we are now going into the fourth year for season eight. And also, Gail Wilmore's episode, episode twelve, was number ninety-three.
1: Oh, we're almost to episode one hundred. I know
0: celebration. I like kind of looked at eking out if we could. I'm like, but I'm not doing another seven episodes for <laughs> this <laughs> season. I was like, no, we'll just we'll just wait. We'll save it. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah. We'll hit it next season. So this has been quite.
0: This has been quite the season. I mean, guest wise, it has been just. Off the charts. It was so cool. I also, another friend of mine was sharing about them listening to the podcast, and they were saying how they just feel like every episode is just getting better and more interesting and new topics. They love the diversity of it, which is great to get that feedback. You know, like that's that warms my heart. And I'll be honest, from on the court, like inside my head, which is kind of a dangerous neighborhood, I've been kind of like, oh my God, is this even working anymore? Like there's something that happens when you've been doing something for a longer period of time, the newness, the honeymoon phase is worn off. Like I start questioning things and, you know, that kind of ties into our topic that we're going to talk about today around anxiety and depression and mood stuff, you know, but like it was really good feedback to hear that. I mean, I love and adore the people who came through the season.
1: Yeah, I definitely I haven't experienced a slowdown from like the editing side. Like every episode, I still have like the same geek out experience. My husband, who's, you know, a stay at home dad as our listeners might have heard in past episode 13s. So we still end up having all these great conversations because he's hearing me edit them (laughs) every time. It's the same experience of something inspiring and interesting and educational. And, but I mean, part of, part of that feeling might have been just this crazy season of our lives in general surrounding season seven and the amount of time we've spent recording it. It's been almost nine months since we started recording this season. When yeah. Was- that's a little atypical
0: yeah. for how we, how we've done things in the past where we've been like a little more Joanna on the spot about, you know, we'd be five or six episodes ahead. We'd have a month or a month and a half of production. And I, I mean, I a hundred percent know part of me could have just, we could have taken this whole season off, you know, coming out of my dad's passing. I mean, that's where we started with the dad sessions. And, you know, I, and I also really had this internal sense of like, I get so much joy and so much fulfillment and satisfaction out of having the interviews and making the podcast and putting them out there and the feedback that we get from everyone and the difference that it's making that it was like, I I couldn't not, but I really appreciate the compassion and grace we've given each other also a theme of today's topic, you know, like when things don't go perfectly, when they don't go according to plan, when, you know, we've been a little bit more behind the eight ball, like, you know, Gail Wilmore's episode that just came out last week, we recorded it six days before that actually, which is usually I'm like, yeah, it's going to come out in six weeks. Just be patient. I was like, so Gail, it's coming out in six days. And she's like, oh, wow, that's quick. I'm like, yep, that's just how this, you know, but like, Okay, <laughs> yep. let's have fun with it,
1: you know? Yep. Yeah, this season's been kind of a different approach from our side. And, but I'm just proud of us for pushing through, for pushing through all of the stuff going on in our lives, especially with your dad's passing and kind of starting the season that way. It is been a good exercise in like vulnerability as we're talking about healing. Like, what better way? to talk about healing than to do it while you're in the middle of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then that just brings us like, we're going to do a little bit of a recap here of the season, just share some of the tidbits from ourselves of going through these episodes. And then we'll get into the topic today, but like, Holy moly. I mean, out of the gate, Karen Curry Parker and talking about burnout, which is a massive conversation with the great, I don't actually know the exact recession out of the 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 leaving of the workforce for a lot of people are changing what they want and recognition of this impact. And then it's kind of like we came full circle because that was our first episode. And then our last episode with Gail Wilmore bringing it back around to polyvagal theory and how stress sits in our body and how we've been living in a state of chronic stress in a way that our nervous systems, our physiology was never designed for. And that's a big part of what happens. It brings people to burnout. So it's like, good job on us, like pulling those together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This has been a good season of like good sandwiching of messaging, (laughs) kind of consistently running, running throughout. And there, I mean, there've been some really interesting. I mean, there always is interesting episodes. I do feel a little bit like a broken record when I talk about that because it's, they're always good. I mean, that's the point, right? <laughs> so we, You pick good guests. We have good topics, but there are some in particular this season that have really kind of stood out to me as I've been editing them. And that might be just because they are topics that like hit closer to home for me, but I, man, I just really loved Liz's episode on PCOS and infertility and how your diet can affect both of those things as well as the rest of your health. And I've been able to, you know, share some of that information and share that episode with a family member who's been struggling with those things. And again, that kind of sandwiches nicely with Philip's episode, though obviously Liz's doesn't central around like weight loss in particular, though that is part of her story. Just about the way that we, intake food or really think about things in general as being a reflection of our value of ourselves. And, you know, the, the way we eat can be a way to show love to our bodies. And that's been something that's definitely been hitting at home for me. And we don't need to go too much into an aside, but like with all the stuff that's going on in Ohio with like the toxicity with the, like the derail, the train derailment, you know, like I'm in Ohio and it's just kind of brought up a big discussion for us at home about removing toxins in different ways in our lives. And so I really loved both of those episodes, but approaching those topics from a place of like love for yourself and um, like Philip's perspective on healing your relationship to yourself. in that process was one of the
0: episodes. I mean, his shifting from you know, how he consumes food and taking care of his body. And like, it was so interesting because even in the interview, I was like, yeah, but Philip, what did you do? Like, what diet did you follow? And he's like, I didn't follow a diet. I'm like, come on, you did something. I mean, he lost 108 pounds, right? And he, and he did. But I love that his context was, no, I'm not dieting. I, I, I cooked at home and I ate whole foods. He's like, I, yeah, I cut out bread. I cut out a couple, but like he didn't, for him, it didn't live like, oh yeah, I did the super strict program and I couldn't eat all these things. Like it lived for him. Like, no, I just fed myself differently. And for him, the act of self-love was two hours in the gym every single day. And he, I mean, literally had a love affair with exercise. And I I mean, I'm a little jealous. Like I have some work to do in that area. Like it was really incredible how he highlighted that. And then, you know, Eileen Dufresne, going in deep dive on detoxing. I mean, her background and her lifestyle, you know, she had had major toxic exposure and she dealt with many physical chronic illnesses and lots of chronic pain and thyroid issues. And, you know, she's a pioneer inventor and and entrepreneur who was like, all right, I'm going to put it all together. Like I'm going to create a whole bunch of solutions for people to support elevating their body's capacity to heal through saunas and coffee enemas and healthy salt and mineralization. And then that got echoed. I did not plan this. I swear I do not plant in my guests, right? But it was like got echoed by Dr. Tom. Dr. Tom said almost the exact same things from a slightly different angle about voltage and detoxification, but he was bringing up the same concepts of the mineral balance in our body and helping our body detoxify. And I think that was really cool because as one of my intentions of the entire project of this podcast, Heal, is what does it take to heal? Like, what does it actually on the court take for us to restore our bodies, minds, souls, emotions, like all of it? What does it take to heal? And my hypothesis, my assertion has always been there is a blueprint. There is actually rules that we can follow that work. Every time, if you follow them, they work every time. And what's so neat is now ninety two episodes in. We are really hearing these themes come through, you know, loving yourself, working on sources of stress, allowing your body to detoxify, working on the context you hold around your purpose, you know, like that was Jeff Wilmore coming in with the conversation of, how living true to your calling, your purpose, your fulfillment is the antidote to burnout. Again, flanking Karen Curry Parker. Like, I mean, clearly there's some things that I'm interested in because that's what I was attracting, yeah. you know, <laughs> these conversations. And, yeah. you know, I keep thinking like one of these days I need to do an entire season just on like physical ailments. But I mean, we do bring that in. And I think there's more to it. There's so, so many podcasts and there's so much information out there about the physical ailments and it is important and you do need to do that. But I just, I don't know. I like these conversations. So we're going to keep yep.
1: having them. <laughs> I love Jeff Chilton's episode too about the mushrooms. And that's another one that it's funny to see what people will latch on to. But ever since that episode, my husband, Mike, has been... Pretty gung-ho researching mushrooms and convinced that he's going to turn our one and a half acres that we have here in the forest into mushroom farms. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so that we can yeah. throw all kinds of mushrooms. And that one's really kind of sunk in as like kind of exciting and inspirational for us too. And Siri's episode was also super. Exciting for me. I think it just goes back to, like you said, just per- personal interest. I love, love human design and learning about like energy and healing our energy. And that one was another really cool. Yeah. So yeah, I totally,
0: I can actually attest that in- And <laughs> this was again, not planned, but it's how it worked out. Jeff Wilmore is the husband of Gail Wilmore. That is actually, they are related. But what was funny is Liz Lund is not related to Kate Lund. (laughs) (laughs) And Kate Lund came to me through a pod agent. And you know that that happens, we get some of our guests from people that reach out and say, hey, we think we have a great guest for Heal. And I always pre-interview them and connect with them personally before we have them on the show because I want to make sure they're a good fit. And Kate was such a good fit. And it was pure coincidence and timing that I interviewed Liz the week before I interviewed Kate. And they both, I was like, Nope, no relationship there. But actually, Jeff Wilmore and Gail Warmer are are husband and wife team. What a duo! You know, so cool. And then
1: that's funny. And they're both man, yeah, powerhouse. Right? That must be a powerhouse couple. Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) pretty extraordinary. And and then Jason Dumbrow, who's an old friend of mine from way back, and I just love like his courage. Like he's a professional organizer and a musician, and he wrote a children's book because it was in him right he just was like it was there to do and and then he's been really amazing about sharing it and having it out there and then the subject matter of talking to kids about death and grief and i mean really grief is is the focus and and but using the theme of what he went through when he was 8 years old when his grandfather died and that was so poignant for me i mean you know i lost my dad at 42 but it still feels like being a little kid losing your dad there's so many elements of that and that was really awesome to to bring that piece in and through and both the topic itself and just how amazing it is to be a person who you're doing something else entirely and then you're like yeah but I have this creative thing I have this expression that needs to come through me and and he's done it in such a beautiful way
1: yeah. And we cannot forget Dr. Dennis Godby's episode, either the walking across America episode. That one was, that's just crazy to me. That's so much walking. I get proud of myself if I hit, even like hit 6,000 steps a day. And then I think about him literally walking across America and for such an awesome purpose, for such an awesome reason, you know, to fight for health equity and everyone having the chance to be healthy and oh, what an awesome guy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's, he's such, I mean, another powerhouse. And I I mean, I will admit I have actually, he full on invited me to participate this fall and and like I'm holding it out there, but I seriously, I don't think he walks 25 to 28 miles a day. And I guarantee he's moving at four and a half miles per hour, like that clip. And I, I'm like, okay, this, it would take serious training. Now it's, it's within reason that I could actually do that. And I'm like, Ooh, so I have not yet set the email saying I'm in, but it I'm holding it out there and I'm looking to see if that's actually gonna come together. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And and just his stand for making a difference for people's health, you know, nationally and internationally and and to be willing to do something like that and what he what it requires him to rearrange his life. I mean, he's got a thriving practice in Sacramento and and all of it. So yeah, pretty extraordinary. And, you know, and then We haven't talked about it at length. I mean, (laughs) I feel like I've been talking about it a lot, but like, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago from the time this will come out was nine months since dad passed. And, you know, we started the season with a kind of special three episode section about what it was like for me going through his diagnosis and his passing. And, you know, it's still a few months away to come up on the one year anniversary. and, And that kind of really can bring us into what I was thinking about we could talk about today, which is, you know, here we are in 2023. And it's three years deep into the pandemic. And I actually, in preparing for this episode, was looking like, are we technically still, by definition, in a pandemic? And yes, we actually are. They have not downgraded the global state of emergency, although just like, a couple weeks ago, the World Health Organization actually said, like, we may be getting close to to changing that specific designation. And I remember reading articles in March and April of 2020 when they said this was going to be a four-year event. And it was like, no way. And here we are. And, you know, the... Prevalence of COVID is really different. And that, you know, I mean, I know a couple people that have tested positive recently, but it's like it's becoming a bit more like normal. And I'm not diminishing at all how it still is very much affecting certain parts of the world and major populations of people that are at higher risk for comorbidities with it. But it's like we've we have kind of gotten into this middle pandemic era. Like I don't even know what to call it. It's not quite post pandemic but what i've been hearing from my clients and and what i see for myself is there's been some real things that have changed and mood stability is one of them the incidence of anxiety and depression has gone up in a dramatic way globally you know the initial stages of of the pandemic it really was mentioned a lot but i think we we it's just continued and yes there's other factors like there's all sorts of other things that have been going on in the last three years that have contributed to it. But coming off of the polyvagal theory conversation, what Gail and I talked about is like, when your body is in a chronic state of stress, how that erodes your capacity to cope and deal with whatever else is happening. Like there was the pandemic and then I had chronic fatigue syndrome and then I moved across the country and then my dad got sick and died of cancer. And it's like, but I can feel it. I can feel like it's like my resiliency isn't as strong, you know, and that's something that is across the board. And so I would love to get a little bit more into, from my perspective, the tools that I have used with my clients, what I know medically, and also for myself, you know, and I'm really <laughs> this may be one of those episodes where I'm like, well, I'm kind of in the soup with everybody else. So it's going to be personal, but I'm also really happy to share about my own personal experience as a way of highlighting, you know, from the court on the ground, what what it looks like and what can be done about it.
1: Yeah, I think that it's great to be personal. I think there's no better way to lead a conversation about healing than to like go through it honestly, right? And <clears throat> it's interesting that you mentioned like seeing kind of a connection between the pandemic and depression and anxiety. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on like what might be the connection between those two experiences, but also like interjecting a like a hypothesis, which is that mostly I feel like I've, we've seen a decrease in community. And that might be against some... Maybe I'm just being symptomatic from like my own life and also like up and moving in the middle of a pandemic to a different place in the world. And so maybe that's partially just my experience. But I think, you know, with a big shutdown of getting together with people, I feel like we've just kind of seen a decrease in like the number of people we have good relationship with as a result of shutting down for such a long period of time. And even though big gatherings still happen again, now, you know, like concerts are back open, conventions are back open. I feel like there was maybe a decrease in the stronger sense of community as a result of the pandemic. And so I don't, what do you, what do you think? Is that something that you think like like might be a contributing factor? What are some of the other connections that you're seeing between the pandemic and depression and anxiety and. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yes. And, and this
0: is where like, I'm really speaking from my own personal experience more than like I've sat and researched and read a lot about it. And, you know, what I'm seeing with my clients hasn't really been, I mean, I have a small boutique practice, so I don't see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, in any given Couple months or a year. So I have a small sample size. And many of my clients are dealing with such significant challenges in their health that it's kind of hard to say, like, well, is it the chronic illness or is it these other circumstances? So it's a little bit challenging. But I do see the, you know, more kids at home with homeschooling. Like lately, as kids have been going back to school and then our immune systems did not get. The usual three to four colds a year, people are getting sick easier and more frequently than they used to five years ago, six years ago. I and it's like sick all the time in their house. This every year. time the kid goes off to school, they come back. It's like the Petri yep. dish just keeps coming home. But we want our kids out there doing things. We want to be out there doing things, and it's and that's actually well documented that that's going to be kind of how it is for a little bit till everything rebalances. And like you said, you know what is what is the new balance now. I would say anecdotally, 100%, the shift and alteration in what community means and how community is, like, is a massive part of it, you know? And and I talked about this in Gail Wilmore's episode, but I've been, I'm just about to finish reading Dr. Robert Lustig's book, The Hacking of the American Mind. And he wrote it back in 20, well, he probably wrote it in 2014, 15. It came out in 2016. So this book is even, like, Not talking about the pandemic, not talking about what's happened in those. I mean, it's like eight years old. And yet the content of it is so relevant to what we're dealing with today about he puts a really high emphasis on processed foods and how processed foods have added so much more physiologic stress and how it shifts the dopamine away from the serotonin. And what that means is dopamine is very much about pleasure seeking and immediate gratification And it's where a lot of addictive behaviors run through the dopamine pathway. And the challenge is the more dopamine in your body, your your receptors get desensitized just the same way it works with diabetes and sugar and insulin. And so then it requires higher levels of dopamine to get the same sensation of pleasure that you did before So you eat one candy bar, you know, at one point and it it has this effect and then it takes 10 candy bars and then it takes daily sugar intake or, or daily sodas. And then even the daily sodas, you don't even get the same pleasure out of that sugar that you used to, but your body's become conditioned to it. And when you take the sugar away, the dopamine drops and there's like a major feeling of emptiness. Well, later on in the book, he gets into what he said and I'm looking them up so I can say it correctly the four C's of how to actually take care of yourself, like how to work through this. Of course, I'm not able to pull it up right in front of me. I know it's here somewhere. But one of them was cooking. The other was community. And then one is cope. And cope is like a whole series of different behaviors, right? And then I now I have to think for a minute to come up with the fourth one. But what was really interesting was, oh, contribution. Contribution, community, cope, and cooking. And I would say community is connected to contribution and community is connected to coping. And you could even say community is connected to cooking. So okay. like at a level, it's like who, you know, I used to do way more dinner parties. I used to have a lot more people over. There used to be like, I mean, my calendar was just more full. And, you know, to to speak from a personal level and and I realized this last nine months, I've been going through the process of big grief. One of my girlfriends actually shared with me big death. Big death is like somebody very significant in your life who was a major role versus like, it's like not all deaths are going to impact you the same way. And for me, my dad was a really big death. And you know I'm aware that 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 is a layer, but equally with that was I moved to New York thinking I was about to embark on this new life with my parents and the sailboat and spending time with my sister and just everything we were going to be doing. And nine months into living here, dad started getting sick and we sold the boat and he passed away. And like, this is not at all what I thought. And then inside of grief, I haven't exactly been like, yeah, I totally want to go hang out with everybody all the time. Right. So there's this double-edged sword between having the time to take care of myself and also going out there into the world to connect with people. And I notice it, I don't have a great solution, but there's a pull in both directions. There's some moments where what there really is for me to do is stay home and take care of myself and allow myself to just be with those emotions, allow myself to process. It's not comfortable, but it's like, I've really been committed to feeling the feels versus all distraction. But then sometimes what is called for is distraction. And that's okay. That's a place where we can bring kindness and compassion to it. So I do think you know, one of the big areas for a lot of people around anxiety and depression increasing through the pandemic is the loss of community, which then makes it harder for us to have a sense that we're going to be safe and secure and taken care of. Because that brings in the other component where for some people, You know, we've had major tech layoffs. There's been changes around the economy, the increase, as is with inflation, whether or not that's directly impacting you or not. I even noticed the heightened anxiety of just my sense of security in our future and how our world is going to work. It's not like, oh, we're going to just pull through this and on the other side, we're going to be A OK. I'm like, "Eh." I don't know what future we're facing.
1: Well, it's hard to feel like. At peace when the world feels so fragile, I think is part of it. And it's a fine line, like you said, between experiencing things and distracting from them, both at like an emotional processing level and also at how we experience the world. I come from like a journalism background. like that's why I know how to edit podcasts because I produced, you know, the morning edition in Phoenix. <laughs> I went from being, the news being my life to like deleting the news app off my phone and refusing to watch it on TV and hearing what I need to hear if it's big enough to make its way to me. And I don't know that that's the right answer either. Right. Like it's, (laughs) I think it is like finding that balance between like, I obviously want to be like an informed person. I don't want to be ignorant to what's going on in the world, but so much of it is so anxiety inducing, especially being in a pandemic where like life seems to be trying to move on and restabilize itself. But then you still do hear that people are, are still dying. People are still, you know, suffering long from long COVID and that life really isn't back to normal, but we're trying to act like it is. and It's hard to feel at peace when that, again, like when that all just, when everything feels really fragile, like it feels like we could slip back into a really heightened state of concern very easily
0: yeah yeah you know and and that kind of takes me to like what I've been looking at you know so I would say over the last nine months there have been for sure very clear periods that it was grief that I mean period now I'm also a very empathic person I have a theory that we're all empathic and that some of us for the sake of attachment and survival and what it was to actually belong in our family groups, our tribe groups and our communities either expanded our empathy and felt the people around us to a heightened level where we actually feel like we're high sensitives, where we were predicting somebody's every move for our survival, or we were, you know, making sure that everyone around us was okay so that we were okay for our survival. Or there's some people that they actually needed to suppress tamp down, depress, and ignore their sense of empathy for others because it wasn't cool or men don't cry or you shouldn't relate to people that way or whatever, you know, an element of needing to look tough and strong that kept them binded to their tribe, binded to their families, binded to their community, a sense of belonging, you know, that that's like inherent in what we do. So I think that the, that the, the skill set, skill set's probably not the right word, the innate capacity is universal in all humans and then our upbringing shape which direction we go i'm on the sensitive side so you know there was the periods of grief and then there's also been periods of this isn't grief this is depression and and like i've had to really look at what does that mean you know what is it what is depression and you know you can go into psychology and counseling and they have specific definitions which I actually don't have that off the top of my head because it's not my field of study What I came across a book that I think I've mentioned here before the language of emotions by Carla McLaren and she's an empath and an energy healer and she specifically has talked about depression as the stop sign of the soul Depression is like your soul reaching out and grabbing your ankles and holding you still because you're going in the wrong direction or you need to stop and look. And then I've also heard, and this came up on one of the episodes, it might have been Karen Curry Parker, but I'm not sure. Someone had talked about depression comes from, no, I think it was actually Siri, depressing, pushing down our emotions. And, and keeping them from flowing and the more we push down and hold it in our body and the more we push down and hold it in our body and we leave it in their body, that can also create an experience of heaviness and lethargy and all the things that will come with a more of a state of depression. And so I've been looking at that and I can see where I've been in a bit of <laughs> a midlife crisis, existential crisis or opportunity for new growth and reset of like, what is my life for and what does matter to me? And I think my dad's death kicked that off because I came head to head with mortality and I came head to head with my own mortality. And I have been thinking way more in the last nine months about what life will be like when I'm 70 or 75 or what, what you know, and I'm unmarried with no kids, which could change, may not change. You know, and to live into that future. And I've noticed for me, there's been spiritual wisdom in the emotional experience of depression that's actually pointing me to something to really inquire into and investigate. There's also been a pathological side to the depression of staying stuck in a negative context that this is as good as it's ever going to get, it's only going to get worse. There is no positive future. Like my mind gets the better of me and I will run that current. And, you know, that sucks. (laughs) That is not comfortable.
1: No. And I think that that's why some people do end up depressed because it's not comfortable to face it. It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's that's the problem, right? And so, I mean, we're talking about like you going through it and but also like you being an experienced person who helps your clients with this. And so it's like, so doctor. Yes. <laughs> you know, what what do we do in the face of depression and anxiety? Like what is what do you recommend for your patients when your patients yeah. are looking at their health holistically? what then is like the approach? What is the treatment? What is the response for depression and anxiety?
0: Yeah. Well, one, there's places where treatment of anxiety and depression are similar and there's places where they deviate from each other. And we've talked a lot about depression because so it's been a little bit more of what I've been dealing with. Although I'm one of the lucky ones where I have both. Yay. So I have this spectrum of where depression can be the dominant state or anxiety can be the dominant state. And they they often don't coexist that loudly, but sometimes they flip-flop even day-to-day where I'm like more depressed one day and more anxious the other day. This is gonna sound, I don't know how it's gonna sound. I'm actually more comfortable with depression than I am anxiety. Anxiety is just awful. And I've actually had more depression than I have had anxiety over the last nine months. I'd say my anxiety has been, but there was a point in time, twenty ten pretty much when I got out of medical school, graduation of medical school until like 2013, 2014, that I mean, I I never did go get diagnosed. I absolutely would have qualified for generalized anxiety disorder for those four years. Like I would wake up into it for two and three hours in the morning and have to like bootstrap, pull myself up by the bootstraps to get through my day. So I have Very intimate experience with both sides of the coin. And I did actually just find Dr. Lustig's specific, the four components, which is connect, contribute, cope, and cook, which this bridges into treatment. And and I do see, so connect, connection, family, tribe, relationships, being around friends. So one of the big things for me, and then also what I share with my clients, when depression is more the active emotion or mental state that's happening, There is a need to kind of push yourself to connect and it doesn't have to be like, it would be not even helpful for me to like go out to the bars with friends right now. And, and I will actually say that for the first time ever in my adulthood, I've never been a big drinker, but like I drink socially, I have given up alcohol completely for the last five months specifically because it just became so obvious That it was making the depression worse. Like one glass of wine, and I might enjoy myself that evening, and I might have, and I just got like, it just costs me too much emotionally the next day or the next two days that I'm just like, I'm taking it off the table. So, you know, connection, but also being careful about is this connection providing a healthful environment for us that's nourishing? So for me, that's been like, I scheduled a book club with some friends around the country and we get together on Zoom on Monday nights. And we went through Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart last time. And now we're reading Bono's autobiography, Surrender, which is like incredible to witness this man's journey. And, you know, it's given me a place where I can connect with people, but I don't have to constantly answer the question, how are you? Because that's also really tricky about I want to be around people and I want to have people around and I feel better when, and I, and I can manage some things about my emotions and like going, I know I'm going to talk about Gail's episode a lot because it's really relevant to this, but in polyvagal theory, one of the things that they really distinguished is that we co-regulate each other. So our nervous systems, if you're very upset or having a hard time or having big emotions, and you're around a group of people who are calm, peaceful, happy, authentically, you will co-regulate. It's like you will start to get, their, it's like their state gets adapted to you and you're able to move your stress out. And it actually is like where we work kind of hive mentality to take care of each other. We actually even notice this goes on with people's immune systems. If you have somebody who has a weak immune system and then they're in a group of people that are very strong and healthy and vital, it's like it, it, it actually increases your immunity and helps you heal. But the inverse is also true, where when you know, you're around people that it's not that experience in those relationships that can be really tricky. So connection is a big part with depression in particular. Anxiety goes to another level because anxiety is, is, you know, again, going back to Carla McLaren's work, she talks about anxiety as undefined fear. It's like general, but you don't know what you're afraid of. It's undistinguished. So this can be a very challenging exercise to do, but what I do with my clients who are dealing with a lot of anxiety is in a loving and compassionate, nourishing environment, ideally with myself, or they can do this journaling, I have them start to answer the question, what am I actually afraid of? What am I actually afraid of? What am I actually afraid of? And they keep asking that question. Now, it seems like that seems like a terrible idea to do that, but if you're actually willing to do it with a bit of discernment, by defining what your actual, and and when I got coached through this by my doctor, Dr. Tom, actually, he said, I want you to think of the worst case scenario, like literally. And then he'd ask me, and if that actually happens, what would you do? Like literally, like actually, what would you do? It's funny because that exactly actually happens, is my
1: thought process when I, <laughs> that is like my exact process, thought process when I'm dealing with anything big is- like I've always kind of viewed it as fatalistic or like, I don't know. It's like, even sorry to my husband when he listens to this, but it's like, every time we argue, my brain starts like formulating a plan of divorce, (laughs) not like literally, but like, okay, if this leads to divorce, what am I going to do? Like, I want to be prepared for the worst case scenario. Like how will we handle splitting up the kids? How will we do this? And I'm talking like minute arguments, my I can sense my anxiety raise about something. And my first answer is to come up with a plan for the worst case scenario. How will I handle it? If he dies, how will he, I handle it. If I lose my job at work because my boss isn't happy with this thing, I turned in, you know, I, and it is interesting how helpful it can be to name the fear. Mm-hmm. And acknowledge like, what about it stresses you out. And it's amazing how, no matter how big of a thing it is or small of a thing it is that I feel anxious about. If I give it the time to like, actually hear myself out, like, okay, what are we actually worried about? And what are we going to do about it? If I'm right, (laughs) can we can go away? Cause then it's like, okay, well, we dealt with that animalistic part of my brain, that evolutionary part that like still is trying to be aware of predators and, you know, like where it's just like very, feels very primal and not necessarily like practical, but more primal that a lot of times I will experience my own anxiety decrease. Even if it's like an insane scenario, if I entertain it for a minute long enough to like, think about what I would really do if that insane thing were to happen, I instantly can feel myself like deescalate.
0: Yeah. And I want to put in like, I'm mostly speaking to people who are not dealing with like major psychological challenges with, you know, long-term chronic depression or, you know, generalized anxiety disorder. But but there is a lot of us where, you know, because you want to have enough well-being that you have the resolve that you're not going to catastrophize and spin right. yourself into a panic attack. Cause I've also been a little bit there. You know, there was periods of time in my life where I had panic attacks more regularly. And then what I needed to do there was not that at all. That would have been the worst thing for me to do in those moments. And when I was in that level of anxiety, what I actually find in the moment, one of the best things to do is get yourself present to the here and now. So there's a practice, which you could do this to yourself. You also can do it with somebody else is you describe something you can see in front of you. Like literally, like I am sitting on a big white fluffy fleece blanket that has red and blue and yellow on it. And it's made by pendleton and it's got a native american print to it and it has you know these kind of pearly small knit to it just there doing that my whole body started to calm down because i'm not in my head in my thoughts i'm actually out here in reality and this actually works really well with kids when kids are kind of spinning in their emotions and they're really getting caught up into something really intense in that moment itself, having them take a couple of breaths, which sometimes they can't even do, but you just start asking them like, what do you, what's something you see in front of me? Describe it to me. What is, describe your lamp to me. Describe the floor to me. Like, tell me about the poster you can see. And it starts to bring them back in, in that acute moment. So those are some of the things like depression, a big part of it is connection, and anxiety, naming the fear. you know, And then even when I'm in just a heightened emotional state, naming the emotions. So I have a worksheet that I use with my clients pretty regularly. And this also can work well for people who have a tendency towards disassociation or feeling numb, or they're like, I don't feel anything at all, is we start to practice naming emotions. And I have a chart that has about 65 different emotions on it. And they're in categories of safety, security, love and kindness, and you can look up like emotional intelligence charts and they'll be all sorts of different ones you can use. There's some emotion wheels that therapists use on a regular basis. And this has been shown in the research over and over and over again, that actually one of the best ways to deal with intense emotions or an intense state of disassociation is to name the emotion, to start to slow yourself down and actually name it. Brene Brown's whole book, Atlas of the Heart, was about the importance of us actually using a diverse set of language around our emotions and what that does in the body. Like if you ever like had a really bad day and you come home and you tell your husband all about it and he just hears you, like he just gets it and you feel better. Yeah, It's like getting your emotions at that level for yourself. And sometimes I know that I haven't named it correctly because it's not moving. It's not shifting. I'm still stuck with it. I'm still just and and it might come out as like, oh, I just feel angry. But then when I really look, I'm despondent, I'm, you know, resentful. I'm afraid. I feel trapped. And yes, I'm angry. That is true. But there's all these other nuances to it that I'm able to articulate. And the articulation alone can move it. Yeah. Now the other piece, being a naturopath and being a master of biochemistry, is there's actually lifestyle pieces that make a huge difference for most mood disorders and definitely anxiety and depression, regulating your blood sugar. So eating on a regular basis, anxiety, this is a big one because many times people who deal a lot with anxiety, they're feeling very stressed and they're doing a lot and they're very busy and they forget to eat or they go long periods of time between eating. And with depression, it can go either way. Some people with depression have a tendency to be more emotional binge eaters. And some people with depression are like, I could never eat food. I don't even feel like eating at all. And they lose their appetite. So, you know, you want to be gentle with yourself with this in the acute stages, but I have, this is something I've been doing through the grief work with my dad and also through some of the depression has been, I've just really taken on having a baseline level of good food that I have eggs and veggies every morning for breakfast. And then like I've been kind of bored with eggs. And to be totally honest, I made spaghetti squash and zucchini and Italian sausage. And that's what I've been eating for breakfast. Sounds funny, but that's been my breakfast and it really works. It's got fat, it's got protein, it's got the veggies. It's not too heavy. Bone broth is a great one if you just don't feel like you can eat anything at all, but you need to give your body some good nourishment and sustenance. I do a hot cup of bone broth with sea salt and a pad of pasture butter, grass-fed butter, and you're giving your body a lot of good nourishment. The sea salt's really good for your adrenal glands, right? Which usually go into fight or flight when we're in these emotional states. So eating on a regular basis, I tell my clients every two and a half to three hours. And making sure that you eat a major meal before 11 a.m., particularly when it's more anxiety than it is depression. Blood sugar roller coasters are really commonly a cause of anxiety. People think they have anxiety and they discover they have a blood sugar issue. And we start to calm that down. Big picture, long-term treatment, food sensitivities can play a major role. For many people, their gluten allergy, their dairy allergy, their sensitivity to other types of foods and processed foods are damaging to the brain and the nervous system and the neurotoxins. And so that issue ends up being like, you know, it becomes a a chicken or the egg thing. Like is the food causing the depression or is the depression causing the food, you know, vice versa. But it is a place where sometimes getting out of our current circumstances in life are really tricky to do. But what we can do is make some changes to how we're eating. I have had clients that have literally noticed that the main cause of their depression is a food allergy. And that when that food allergy gets addressed and they actually eat clean, their depression goes away a hundred percent. And there's really clear physiology. there's connection to thyroid, there's connection to GI tract, and there's connection to things that become neurotoxic in our body because of our gut that actually influence and change serotonin receptors, dopamine receptors, epinephrine and norepinephrine receptors. There's a whole inner relationship there. So blood sugar balance is key. Sleep, major. Now with some depression, Mine, I don't do this, but I know other people who do, they want to sleep all the time. And so there is a little bit of regulating, you know, having a bit of a schedule and a routine. And when people are more in that boat gently and with a lot of love and compassion, my goal with them is to start to move them towards movement, getting up and walking, you know, just going out their door and walking for 10 minutes. Like that has been another practice I have taken on this winter and it's made a huge difference for me. I'll be totally honest. I've never been one of those people who's like, oh yeah, I just love to exercise. Like I feel so much better. I like doing outdoor sports with friends and being in nature, but just literally exercise for the sakes of exercise is not, it's not been an antidepressant for me until this year. I literally can tell. I go out and I walk Henry and we come back 45 minutes later and my mood is 50 to 70% improved. It's like taking a drug and I'm like, cool you know, and this winter got enough that I talked to my naturopath. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I talked to my naturopath this winter about, is this an appropriate time for me to go on an SSRI or SNRI? You know, like I was open to is antidepressant treatment, you know, and, and I, and he even said, that's an option, but he said, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? And are you moving your body? And I was like, well, no. (laughs) And so for me, it was appropriate. And it made sense that I actually wanted to really double down and commit to some lifestyle components. And so I go to bed at 10, I wake up naturally at six or six 15. I don't wake up to an alarm, my alarm's set for seven, I pretty much never have to have it go off, you know, and I've been walking, my goal is to walk 21 miles a week. And so I'm and that's an average of three miles a day. And I don't always hit it. But I've been I've kind of pushed myself to that to, to get me out the door. And, you know, another little just quick trick about depression, and this would be a consult your doctor about this, but there's good evidence that low dose tanning in tanning booths can make a huge difference, particularly with people that deal with seasonal depressive disorder. Now, there are some other treatments out there like SAD lights, and there's even some different, you know, I know there's a lot of red light therapy and sauna. You can get your own sauna bags now that are like pretty easy to use at home, and that's Saunas far infrared. So like you're getting in the world of some light therapy, but a lot of the concern about tanning beds and cancer is like, you would really have to like weigh overdose on a regular basis. And we actually know that skin cancer is just as much an internal disorder as it is on the skin. The fact that the sun impacts our skin is usually because there's so much inflammation on the inside and our cells are having the same issue that any cancer would have. Right. We used to live outdoors under the sun all the time, all day long, day in, day out. Like that was natural for us. And we're very sun-starved. It's like we, if you're if you're an insomniac, that doesn't make you feel good. If you don't eat enough food, if you don't drink enough water, well, if you don't get enough sunlight, it's just as big of a deal. So that has been something that for my clients, particularly in northern climates or dark gray climates, once a week, five minutes. Like it doesn't have to be a major big, long thing. You you actually want to do it such that you don't get any tan effect from it. You're underneath that level, but that can make a huge difference for people as well.
1: That's really fascinating. All of the things that you're saying kind of harkens back to something I've heard you say before in other episodes and, and something that's come up before, but I think it's a worthy thing, which is, you know, this kind of idea that you can only heal to the extent that you love yourself. Right. Because all the things you're talking about that takes a lot of love for yourself. Like I like real love, because it's like, I think of love as being what's best for you. Not necessarily what feels great in the moment. Cause you're talking about like the wine might feel good in the moment, But then like long-term, has it been best for you? Staying up late, binge watching a show might feel fun in the moment. But if I do that all the time and then I'm not sleeping enough, like, is that ultimately good for me? And then we think about like, I especially like as a parent of young children, I think about that often, especially my nine-year-old is like, well, I don't want to go to bed. And it's like, well, I'm not making you go to bed because it's fun. I'm making you go to bed because you need a certain amount of sleep to function well. And then I will stay up watching TV or reading or just procrastinating my bedtime until like one o'clock in the morning, knowing that I'm going to get up at six o'clock with my baby, (laughs) you know? And so I think, but so what you're talking about is like, you really have to love yourself to do, to heal. Right. And so I want to kind of pick your brain more about that and hear more about what you say about how love for ourselves can tie into like our ability to heal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And and this is definitely like
0: Full on the court vulnerability for me because it's totally what I've been diving in, you know, and I've been on my own healing journey. I mean, I love, I've been on my healing journey since the day I was born, but because I had asthma and all sorts of things when I was a kid, but actively pursuing the conversation of how do I heal my body since I started med school when I was 25 and I'm 43. So it's like, okay, it's been a minute. And now I'm getting to these deep layers of self worth and value and inner confidence and noticing how much i still am addicted to the external world telling me that i'm okay and that i want the answers from outside of myself and so this has really been one of the the gifts of this time period of more solitude you know where i live and you know going through the grieving process of dad's passing and also this exploration into depression for myself so i'll share for myself that I do think, and I and I have been quoted saying that, you know, health exists in your body, the degree to which you're willing to love yourself. Because when we start to take apart all the other behaviors, why would we put a known poison, alcohol, into our body? Is it really a shock to anybody that processed foods are not in your body's best interest? Like, this is not newsworthy anymore, right? Like, you know, and, and so... Then I look as somebody who has a background of emotional eating, you know, I I'm never been anywhere near bulimia, but I'm on the spectrum of binge eating like that has been something I've wrestled with and and something I've come to a lot of peace with my relationship to food. And so I like look at some of these behaviors of like what has me. In a moment of deep emotional stress. Be so compelled That what I want to do is consume a high fat dairy sugar laden product of ice cream that I know I'm dairy allergic and stay up until, you know, for me, a late night is like 1130, but it's the equivalent of your one in the morning, (laughs) you know, stay up too late watching shows that just stimulate some part of my brain. And that's where my investigation into dopamine pathways have been really illuminating because I'm actually self-medicating. So one of the big things for me over the last 15 years, particularly around my relationship to food, is practicing kindness and self-compassion. So it's like, which is actually better for me? Strong-arming myself to get every molecule of sugar out of the house and just force myself to eat clean, quote-unquote, to do it right. Or what I have come to for myself is I keep a couple pints of ice cream in my freezer all the time as an act of grace that it's just my choice. And that there are times where I actually can come to myself with full love and full compassion and be like, yep, I am going to take care of my inner child and I am going to totally participate in this. Now for me and my physiology, a half a pint of chocolate ice cream is not going to wreck any major physiologic thing like i've done enough work that like there was a time where if i ate a slice of pizza i would be sick for 5 days like i have lived that life and i've healed a lot from that where like gluten used to just wreck me and it doesn't anymore but there is you know so this is all within a certain level of like you got to listen to what your body really needs you know but that that's so important and it's something I work on with my clients all the time. Is like one of the things that sets me apart from a lot of other healthcare practitioners is my goal isn't that you do the treatment plan perfect. My goal isn't that you check all the boxes. My goal isn't that you can eat 100% clean and follow this diet to a T every single day. Because there's a certain degree of self-abuse that can happen and that caters towards a certain type of population that have a tendency towards perfectionism and holding themselves to excessively high standards and being very hard on themselves, which actually just propagates the very core issues that have them dealing with a health issue in the first place or a mood disorder. And I've lived that life. That's how I know I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I sometimes need to recover more than others. (laughs) And so what is my goal with my clients is that they come into a loving and kind and compassionate relationship with themselves with them for with their body with their physicalness with their mind with their emotions and and i sometimes feel a little bit like do as I say, not as I do, because I am in that soup pot with everybody else. Like that is what I am actively working on. Now, there's a lot of ground I've taken in that area and there's a lot of wisdom I've gained. And then there's moments where like, that is my biggest issue is like, in the face of everything else going on, what is the kindest thing for me to do for myself? And sometimes it's, geez, Sarah, like let go of your grip and eat the damn ice cream. And sometimes it is pop the bottle of wine and enjoy the snot out of it and then there's other times where it's the most loving kind thing for me is to put the computer down and say it's okay to take a break and take my dog for a walk. That's been actually a new one for me this winter is I interrupt my work day to take Henry for a walk and that's you know confessions of a former workaholic. You know, I used to run my life around a 70 to 110 hour week and that was a way for me to depress My emotions, and one of the challenges I've had since the pandemic, and since moving to New York, is I have way more time on my hands, and what comes up are the emotions that I suppressed for fifteen years. And I'm like, oh, look, there you are. You know, so especially in this conversation of anxiety and depression and challenging with our mood, you know, what it looks like to practice. You know, this is a Buddhist concept: practicing loving kindness for me most of the time is eating good healthy clean food getting enough sleep drinking enough water moving my body spending time with people that i love like that that really is that's the like major real nourishment but it's also bringing kindness to my inner child and doing some inner child work of like what is that that like you are craving that small self that's hurt or struggling inside of this emotional state, you know? And sometimes practicing loving kindness is taking a day off and calling in sick, which is really funny to call into myself and be like, hey, boss. <laughs> but, you know, it takes some communication with my clients. And more and more I model to my clients, like, hey, I'm taking, I'm taking a personal day. This is what I'm dealing with. And like I get to model to them that that's that's a way to take care of ourselves. And so how do you know what that is? Ask yourself. Like I literally ask myself, okay, I'm having a shit day. What is the biggest act of kindness or what is one, not even the biggest, what is something that's an act of kindness for myself today? Mostly I've gone off of caffeine this winter. It's I've just done a, there's just been a big shift around taking care of my nervous system. And I love coffee. I love coffee. Coffee and I have this amazing romantic love affair. I love coffee. And I don't drink caffeinated coffee anymore. It's decaf. And I get like water processed, fair trade, organic, awesome decaf. And I have a really beautiful espresso machine and I'm not going to get rid of it. And so there are times where like, you know, you can tell, like I think about food, but like, and, and it may be other things for people taking time to paint, taking time to write, You know, going if you're near a beautiful place in nature, like interrupting the to-do list and the busyness to go be generous with yourself, to go touch a tree, put your feet in the grass, you know, those kinds of things. But it might be snuggle with your kids or it might be play hooky and go to a movie or, you know, it's like you got to look. And one of the practices I do with my clients when they're not in the midst of the darkness, when they're in a little bit more balanced place, is to make lists because when I'm in dark places or I'm having big emotions, it's really freaking hard to remember. Like I I don't have access to those things. So I have them make a list of 30 ideally, like as many things as I can, small things that they would that would make a difference for them in those moments, that would bring them joy or that would move them or that would just like nourish them or or fill their heart or something. I even have lists of people to call. Because my brain, when I go really deep in depression, I'm clear, all my friends hate me. Nobody wants to hear about my shit anymore. Nobody, you know, I, I've been complaining for the last nine months since dad died. Like, well, you know, I've, I've been dealing with that one. So I literally have a list that says all of these people are available for you to reach out to, you know? And I have to remind myself, like, that's actually true versus what the version my brain is telling me in those moments. So there's some tools and structures like that that give us that access to self-love and self-nourishment and loving kindness. And I mean, I'm sure we could have a whole long, big conversation about it, but like, that's that's some snippets. Well,
1: and it reminds me of a conversation we've had before too, where <clears throat> like, if you're struggling with like, loving yourself all the way, like to at least think of your relationship with your body as like your relationship with a family member. Like you didn't get to choose it. Like you might get to choose a friend. Like it, it was given to you, like a family member would be. you still want to be like good to your family member. And part of that, like you said, is talking to your body like you would a family member. Like how would I ever know what, you know, my mom or my aunt or my cousin who's going through something needs in order to feel better if I didn't ask them, that feels so obvious. And yet how often are we asking ourselves? How often are we talking to ourselves? And that's something that you've brought up in episodes in the past too, that a lot of times people's bodies have told them what it is. I mean, you've yeah. given some pretty insane examples of exercises with clients you've done where you've told them to physically ask their body like what it needs or what it's trying to communicate. And I think that was even a quote from one of the episodes we just edited was that the body does not lie Yeah, and your body's not going to lie to you, but it is communicating and that most symptoms are just, a communication, yeah. right? including and, our
0: emotions. Yeah.
1: And I think that that's one of those things where, I mean, I don't want to overgeneralize at all. And I understand that there are big medical issues that I don't want to boil down too far and make light of, but I do think that your body will be heard one way or the other. And there's like multiple ways to hear it and Like I've noticed with myself, if I don't take the time to slow down and listen, when it's being more gentle in its communication with me, that the communications will get louder and they will get more obvious and they will become harder to ignore (laughs) and harder to heal. And, uh, but it's not, it's not always easy to love yourself the way that you need to in order to heal, but That's one thing I hear over and over from you is the importance of that. That you know, that our capacity to heal is directly tied to our willingness to love ourselves and our willingness to make those sacrifices and to truly pursue healing
0: and it's not just me it's a pretty common theme oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean you know Gabor Mate talks about it he has a whole book literally called when the body says no we've we've talked about that on other episodes and that's the whole premise of like when your body gets as far as into an autoimmune disease or major illnesses chronic fatigue and lyme's disease is like literally your body reaching out saying enough already like no more and and it's not to diminish that there are real realities to our physical world of toxicity and the way that we are. And I'm blessed that I have a choice over what kind of foods I can eat. I can sit here and say, don't eat processed foods. There's other people that's not an option, right? That, that That's, that's not, you know, so there's a level two in the collective of taking care of all of us that we have a lot of work to do at that level. And so, but I am somebody who's at a position where I get to choose how I live and I get to choose what foods I put in my body and I get to choose how I talk to my body and how I talk to myself. And, you know, and I have been working with a therapist on EMDR going through some of my past, you know, complex trauma and like unwinding those conversations. And, you know, I continue to do my own personal growth work, you know, in other fields. And, and for a long time, it was very mental focused on my mind, my thoughts. And like that got me a long way. And then I've realized how much I've ignored my body which is ironic for what I do for a living. It was like that was, you know, the perfect place to hide, right? It was like, oh no, let me be an expert in the body, and then I will never have to deal with it. And so, you know, that's been, and then all of this work that's come up about somatic therapy and integrating the body, and you know, the body keeps the score. I mean, there are just we could we could go on and on and on and on about, and I think this really is the cutting edge of health and healing and the well being movement. Is this? I mean, the the psychedelic movement from a therapeutic healing standpoint, a lot of it is recognizing because what psychedelics do is they have you reprocess and embody things that were otherwise not able to be embodied or or got stuck in the body and allow them to move through. A lot of the MDMA therapy with PTSD and veterans is is all around that. So it's coming up in a lot of different angles, and it's you know. My dream someday is where we have the unification of medicine and we don't have complementary alternative and mainstream. It's all just medicine and everyone can refer to everyone. And that 80% of the medicine that's delivered is energy medicine, therapy, natural medicine, nutrition, and integrative medicine. Because 80%, 90% of what we're dealing with in, in the Western world for sure, but even beyond, could be handled with different food, water, movement, community process, like, and then how we take care of underserved communities would fit right into that, you know, and that's going to have to be where we leave this conversation today.
1: <laughs> it feels like a great summarization of like the season yeah. you know, hearing about oh, the loving yourself and, <laughs> and the, the importance of that tied in so many episodes and dealing with the energy and the diet. It feels like it this conversation has felt like the perfect like end cap to this season. And it was I know you were kind of stressing about what to talk about. And I feel like, are we really going to go here? Is this a good
0: idea? <laughs> Feels very autobiographical for myself right now, but that's fine. I'm always willing to do that. Yeah.
1: I think it's a good, you know, a journey to healing that we're all on together and, you know, might be struggling with different things at the time, but we can all, hopefully hear and take in the reminder to like that we can't hate ourselves into healing you know like we have to we have to love ourselves into it and even when it's when it's not easy and so i think this has been definitely a perfect place to tie up right. season seven. and we've
0: done it it's a wrap until we mm-hmm. do it again for season eight stay tuned for coming attractions yeah thanks kendra
1: yeah thank you dr Marshall.
0: For all the resources of today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nikpour, and our amazing editor, Kendra Vicken for everything she provides. And as always, thank you for being here. We could not do this without you. We'll see you next time in season eight. Okay guys, it's 2023. What does that mean? Well, as much as I may want to resist going with the ye old New Year's resolutions, I do find that in January I have a renewed sense of energy and desire to make some changes and get back on, or just get on for the first time, the horse of health and well-being. Now in the midst of our seventh season of heal, I wanted to check in with you, my audience. What do you need now in your healing journey? What are your goals? What are you struggling with, dealing with, or even resigned to that you don't think will ever change? What has been there lingering in the background that you just don't want to drag into yet another year? I want to hear from you. I want to connect and be sure that we are delivering on the topics of information and inspiring stories to support you in your healing journey. When Kendra and I first crafted the idea for HEAL, it definitely came out of my personal desire to put as much goodness and possibility of health and healing out into the world. And not actually here just to entertain you. My true heart's desire is that this show makes a difference in your life and supports you to take action to live health and HEAL. Also, I want to be sure that you know I have a comprehensive, deep-dive medical health consulting practice where I meet with my clients virtually from all over the world, and I have room for you. Many people ask me if I'm taking new clients, and while I love that y'all think I'm booked solid 100% of the time, actually, I want you to know I am available. I offer a free 30-minute exploration conversation to anyone interested in working with me to learn more about each other and how my approach may make a difference for you. Commonly, I work with people dealing with hormone issues, gut and digestive issues, chronic fatigue, autoimmune disorders, mold toxicity, chronic allergies, migraine headaches, insomnia, and people who have dealt with chronic anxiety and depression looking to support their body's biochemistry in addition to healing their emotional and mental challenges. While that may seem like quite a list, most of those diseases are connected and disorders are connected. So we will bridge the gap to bring it all together to elevate your health and your well-being and get your life back. I have a deeply intuitive and scientific-based approach. Yes, both. I bridge the worlds of coaching, spiritual energy healing, and doctoring to bring you the best tools you need to get your life and your health back As efficiently and effectively as possible. The early months of the new year come with an increasing light each day, bringing new vision, new motivation, and new energy. As the seeds you planted last summer and fall, deep beneath the soil are slowly waking up and gathering their power to sprout new futures this spring. This is the perfect time to take new action and create health and a pathway to healing. I'm here for you. If you have felt called to find out more about the possibility of working together, please reach out on my connect page of my website, saramarshallnd.com, and let's talk. Also, please contribute to the show with guest ideas or topic ideas or how to guides or whatever it is that is going to make a difference for you this year in 2023. What do you want to learn about? What do you want to know about? What are you dealing with? You can shoot us an email on that same page of my website sarahmarshallnd.com slash connect. I love you guys. Heal wouldn't exist without you. Thanks so much.